because it's all to God's glory, right? Amen. And not man's. Thank you, folks. And quite frankly, uh, not a more appropriate hymn could be um, meditated upon in light of this morning's text. So God has all that orchestrated as well. If you need a Bible to follow along with, our ushers are ready to give you one to slip up your hand this morning, and they'll be sure to find you. This journey back to Ecclesiastes chapter 9, the first of four chapters of conclusion. When Solomon wrote this piece of wisdom literature, certainly he wasn't writing in chapters, but he began his conclusion in chapter 9, and chapter 9 commences with a conclusion that is a overall rehearsal of everything we learn in the first eight chapters. And it begins by discussing together this margin of mystery in life that though we try to understand all of life and its complications and its injustices, we'll never truly be able to understand or grasp all of the realities behind those two things, but we can and trust ourselves to a faithful creator while we continue to do simple things. Simple, good things. I was reading another book uh, recently, and it was simply entitled Present Over Perfect. Uh, Present Over Perfect. The author is Shauna Nyquist, and the subtitle of the book reads, Leaving Behind the Frantic, for a more simpler, more soulful way of living. And just the title and the subtitle grabbed my attention, so that's why I wanted to read through it. And while it's not a theological treatise of how to live life, it certainly does give us some solid, spiritual, common grace principles here that Solomon's trying to tell us. With things that you can't understand in our busy, frantic lives, there is, for a believer, a more soulful way to entrust ourselves to a faithful creator while we pursue simple, joyful uh, pursue, uh, life patterns as, as we live. She goes, I'm a wife, I'm a mother, a daughter, a sister, a friend, a neighbor, a writer, and know all too well that settling feeling. She continues, but over the course of the last few years, I've learned a way to live marked by grace, love, rest, and play. She said, and it's changed and is changing everything. She invites us to, as you read her book, to consider the landscape of our own lives and what it might look like to leave behind the pressure to be perfect and to have everything and begin the life-changing practice of simply being present in the middle of the mess and the ordinariness of life. That's really what Solomon continues to address here for us. We considered last week the margin of mystery in relationship to death, and this week in verses 11 to 18, we're just going to consider how wisdom addresses the margin of mystery and the unpredictability of life. The unpredictability of life. And I trust that our hearts will be blessed this morning as we do that. What are some simple ways that wisdom will instruct us to make sure that we're always able to embrace living a divinely simple, joyful life in the midst of all the noise 
of that which we cannot understand and cannot begin to predict in the world that we live in. So let's read here, beginning in verse 11, uh, a section of the wisdom literature here that's really divided into two parts. Uh, the first part is verses 11 and 12, and the second is verses 13 to 18. And what we'll find out is that wisdom is telling us to make sure that we never completely place too much trust in our own personal ability as we try to figure out how to live simply in this margin of mystery. So be cautious not to place too much trust in your own personal ability. And then really verses 13 to 18 are going to teach us be careful not to place too much trust, not just in our personal ability, but our personal opportunity. Our personal opportunity. Don't stake your claim on how merely God made you and what God gave you to do as far as opportunity on this earth. Approach life much more simply than that and joyfully than that. And we'll discuss it here. Verse 11, I again saw under the sun that the race is not to the swift. We're going to find five personal abilities here that we all have, or at least we have one of them. I don't find myself being too swift anymore, so I guess that one's off my list as far as personal ability. The race is to the swift, and the battle is not to the warriors. There's strength. And neither is bread to the wise, nor wealth to the discerning. So there's the wise and the discerning. It's our third and fourth ability. Nor favor to men of ability. There's skill, smarts, if you will, education. For time and chance overtake all of them. Moreover, man does not know his time. Anyone that depends on pursuing life, living out these five personal ways that God skilled them to be, ultimately, if you're living just for those things, you'll find yourself like the two analogies mentioned here in verse 12. Man doesn't know his time, like fish caught in a treacherous net, and birds trapped in a snare. So the sons of men are ensnared in an evil time when it suddenly falls on them. Also, this I came to see as wisdom, verse 13 under the sun, and it impressed me. There was a small city with few men in it, and a great king came to it, surrounded it, and constructed large siege works against it. But there was found in it a poor, wise man, and he delivered the city by his wisdom. Yet no one remembered that poor man. So I said, wisdom is better than strength, but the wisdom of the poor man is despised, and his words are not heeded. The words of the wise heard in quietness are better than the shouting of a ruler among fools. Wisdom is better than weapons of war, but one sinner destroys much good. Let's go back to verse 11 and let's start discussing why we need to be cautious not to place too much trust in our own personal ability. The text clearly tells us that personal ability cannot hold you up in life when life becomes too heavy to carry. 
personal ability is not able to exclusively hold you up in life when life's too heavy to carry. One of the first places my wife ever took me when we began dating and I went to visit her in the springtime after our second semester of our freshman year of college was, was to the Indianapolis 500. Now, I don't know if you've ever been to the Indianapolis 500, but uh, I, was, uh, I was shocked that she actually could land tickets. I had never been there. I had always raced home on Memorial Day weekend as a kid uh, to make sure I flipped on ABC and it used to be under the old wide world of sports and uh, we would sit down and we'd watch that race and it was exciting um, to be able to go was amazing and then she got us tickets about 10 rows up from the pits uh, at the Indianapolis 500 and uh, apparently a quarter million people a year go to this race so the stands that are around the circumference of that I think two and a half mile track seat a quarter of a million people it's quite a spectacle I remember a lot of amazing things that day one of the first things I remember was reading about the history of the race and reading how many people were going to be there. And then when I got there and I actually saw how massive this place was, I began to walk underneath the stands, the grandstands, or whatever they want to call them. Um, I remember feeling a little fearful. I was like, right, like right now, I am trusting human engineering, right, to hold up the weight of these millions, <laughs> these thousands of people. And I was, remember next looking around at, you know, wall-to-wall -wall flesh underneath those stands walking with me, and none of them had a thought about those stands not doing their job, right? They were eating, drinking, and being merry. Some were drinking more than they should have been drinking, but they were, they were having a good time. And then I began wondering, why am I the only one probably thinking about why these stands are able to hold up the weight of these people and I'm not going to die? So I thought I was pretty strange. But remembering back to that time, I thought about, wow, even human strength couldn't hold up these humans. Humans couldn't bear up humans in the physical part of that. It took human engineering and an ability to do that which a human couldn't do. And I thought, you know what? Sometimes there's times in life where we can't lift our own weights when we can't figure out what life brings our way. And there's only one person who can, and that's God. And aren't you thankful that God doesn't allow you to be tempted above that which you're able? Right? And that he's able to carry the weight that you can't, even though when you feel like your weight's becoming too heavy to bear. Solomon outlines us some particular skills, five of them that we've already read through and somewhat explained, that man looks to to help carry their own weight. And he says here for the believer, I've tried this, Solomon says, and it didn't work. Solomon had all five of these virtues as part of his own life, if you understand his history. And he says, I've tried this and I couldn't carry my own weight and there's some things that are still just too confusing to try to figure out. And he had learned how to write Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, to trust in the Lord with all of his heart. 
and no longer lean unto his own understanding. In all his ways, acknowledge the Lord, and he will make your path straight. Let the Lord carry the weight you can't carry, and it's going to be okay. He says the swift, the race is to the swift. I remember some time ago reading a book on the startup of the McDonald's restaurant. There's a lot of factors to the startup. But its founder was consumed with one thing. And you find out successful entrepreneurs are typically consumed with becoming successful in one thing. They have a, a burning platform that no one else is seeing as a burning platform. If they could just get on it and live it, the culture will absorb it. And his burning platform was, how can I make a quality hamburger quickly? Because life's lived in a hurry. Well, through some clever business moves. And by the way, one of his primary goals was to make sure that they had a McDonald's restaurant after their first one they piloted in California in every community that had a steeple in it. That was his mission. No matter how large the community, I want a McDonald's in every community that has a church. And I want to make a hamburger quickly so people who live life in a hurry can eat in a hurry and get about their hurried life. So with some diligence, putting the right people around him and finding some people that he could persuade to invest in his pursuit Ultimately, they become the number one burger place in the market for decades. Doing something faster than someone else can be rewarding. I mean, just consider Jesse Owens, right? Consider Harrison Dillard, who just passed away this week, right? Cleveland-born Olympian. They knew what speed was, and it certainly got them a measured success and a global recognition. But they're both in the grave now. What remains of their memory are statues outside their high schools where they were able to go to college and some medals that remain for their families. Skill or swiftness the skill of swiftness at its highest level still is not enough to help us bear up underneath that which we cannot control. Speed can get you to the pinnacle of your career personally or corporately, but it can assist you in figuring out the margin of mystery life still brings our way. He goes to the strong here. The battle is not to the warrior. Ultimately, certainly warriors can win battles, but ultimately, the war of life can only be surrendered to our creator. Each president that we have seems to waver in their dependence on military strength. Their philosophy on the matter also seems to influence much about our economy and global peace. A strong military has its advantages to be sure, but it's still not a panacea to human wonder and fear when things 
like 9-11 happened that are out of our control. A high school friend of mine was in Desert Storm. The last time we saw each other, he recounted a story to me that they were caught in an extremely outnumbered situation by surprise in the desert in Iraq, trapped by tanks, hundreds of tanks, he said, from the Iraqi Republican Guard. They had gotten some bad intel, and they were told to go to this place where there was no enemy, and they got there, and the enemy was there. They could see the line of tanks approaching, and he told me his personal experience that you know, he had no way to first call his wife and to speak to her and his little ones. And so the only thing he said I could do was begin to tell everyone else with me about Jesus. And he said, in that short time, a couple of my friends did come to know Christ as their Savior because we were facing a strength we could not um, defeat. And we were, we were outnumbered. As he was speaking Christ to his friends in light of their imminent death, he told me that an unforecasted wind swept through the region, causing blinding sand to swirl. He said, Tim, I couldn't see five feet in front of my own face. We made our way back to our vehicles, and we were able to put our vehicles in reverse and just drive backwards, not even really knowing we were going. And we just kept driving backwards away from the onslaught of the Iraqi Republican Guard and their tanks until the wind died down and the dust literally settled. And apparently they had driven miles away. When the dust settled, there was no more threat of death from the enemy. In that moment, the battle was not to the strongest, was it? It was still God's. <laughs> it was still God's. There have been times in war when the strongest did find agonizing defeat in battle and even in death. I think you remember Gideon's 300 men. I think you remember Samson's ability. <laughs> the battle's not always to the numbers, it's not always to the strongest personal ability can never exclusively help us persevere as we live out life in this margin of, un of the unknown, this margin of mystery. The ability of strength can get you so far, but as verse 12 says, man still doesn't know his time. Is the battle to the wise... Are you going to ultimately succeed because you're smart or you're wise? Solomon knew something of this. And really, number three and number four go hand in hand, the wise and the discerning. He asks for both in 1 Kings 3, and both brought him much bread and wealth, and yet he states clearly here that these abilities did not exclusively assist him from dodging the margin of mystery he could not wrap his own mind around in life. Among other matters, Solomon's own son, Rehoboam, split the kingdom. He unwisely sought the wisdom of younger men over older men. And after all, he was the, the son of an Ammonite woman. 
And certainly, how in the world could God continue a Jewish kingly strain through his dad being wed to or being immoral with an Ammonite woman who was not a Jew? Well, Solomon found out that even wisdom and discerning does not carry the battle in the end of the day. And certainly, wisdom and discernment if you're not walking with the Lord, it's going to have its own consequences and not help you live life faithfully underneath this margin of mystery. The fifth and final one here is just the ability to learn. Book knowledge, degrees, diplomas on your wall. We live in a culture that wants education for free. It seems to some that paying off college debt and granting free college education is such a necessary right in our culture, and it seems that education has taken its place or it's been enthroned as the god of this culture. Like, education is like everything. And so it ought to be a right. It ought to be not a privilege anymore because it's so, it's so necessary. And education is the, the panacea to all earthly ills. Solomon says here, and he knew a thing or two about having diplomas and education, that walls littered with diplomas and certificates cannot provide safety from this margin of mystery in life that all of us face every day. Wisdom is encouraging us to pursue these skills for sure. We saw that in verse 10, didn't we? Whatever your hand finds to do, do with all your might. It's certainly just fine to be fast, and smart and swift and discerning and educated and wise. Certainly nothing wrong. Go pursue it. Just don't exclusively trust in those abilities. Because if you do, when the margin of mystery comes, you of all people will be most unsettled in your walk and doubt will consume you. Doubt will consume you. Fear will consume you. So it remains wise for us to remember that personal ability only lasts as long as life does. And since no one knows when they will breathe their last on this earth, let's actively pursue the development of these skills as a means to persevere well in living out our spiritual present while always remembering verses like Proverbs 21 and verse 30. There is no wisdom, no discernment, and no counsel that can prevail against the Lord. 2 Chronicles chapter 20 and verse 15. The Lord does not deliver with the sword or the spear, for the battle even belongs to the Lord. Develop skill and pursue life with passion. Wisdom would tell us the best way that you can. For now we are beginning to understand how to trust God to handle the margin of mystery for us while we pursue, again, our spiritual eternal purpose. Our understanding that the Lord is the commander-in-chief of our big picture empowers us by grace to actively pursue responsibility and enjoyment in this life without trusting in the arm of the flesh, our own abilities. Jesus reminds us of this in Matthew chapter 6. Don't be anxious. 
Don't trust in your own abilities to gain for yourself food and clothing and shelter. Take no thought for tomorrow. Sufficient is the evil thereof. You can trust. You can trust. You can simply live and pursue living in the present spiritual reality of our responsibilities. Even the Lord Jesus knew as fully man and fully God that we would struggle enough handling the margin of mystery today. So not reaching back to yesterday or forward to tomorrow, but living actively and responsibly today is joy for us as we know God is in the middle of the margin of the mystery. Life is to be lived like this with one another and with God. If we were able to trust him with the heavyweight, we should be able to enjoy life carrying our own weight, doing what we can do, controlling what we can control while he controls what he controls. And again, I write down here 1 Peter 4.19, entrusting yourselves to a faithful creator while you continue to do good things. So consider the two pictures offered to us here in verse 12. I personally got stressed when I read these two pictures, these two metaphors. Have you personally seen a bird trapped? Have you personally gone fishing and seen fish caught up in a net? Do birds like being trapped? Do fish like being netted? Nope. But that's what life is like if you're living it in your own ability and you're trusting in your own ability. That's really why there were so many suicides in the late 1920s. Coming out of the Industrial Revolution and starting to form what the American dream was and having everything and then having nothing at all, trusting swiftness, strength, ability, education. Let's do this. We can create this and then it's all gone. What's man like when they exclusively trust in their own ability that God's given them? The Great Depression brings death. It just is what it is, right? And so for the believer, it ought to be the antithesis of that. A Great Depression brings great joy. And we find out what it means to count it all joy when we fall into various trials and temptations. The reckoning something joy when you fall into affliction is living simple joyful activity. The ability to live in a simple joyful way can never be taken from us. If you think about it. And it doesn't take much ability at all to sustain that kind of living. We talk about our simple joys as a church, right? To love God, to love his word, to love each other, and to love lost souls in our community. If they took our building away from us and they took this away from us, they could never take those four things away from us. I mean, just think about it. Solomon is saying, I had everything, and I had the ability to live a lot of life with everything, and yet if I, and I did, depend on just those things, I had nothing but I could still 
live in my own spiritual present and no joy. There's three other proverbs that I found in relationship to this particular context. Jeremiah 10 and verse 23. It is not in man that walks to direct his own steps. 1 Samuel 14 and verse 6. The Lord may save by many or by few. We remember that text. And again in our own chapter in verse 9. The time and events or destinies come to us all. I think of Proverbs 16 and verse 9. A man may plan his course, but the Lord determines ultimately his steps. There's a bigger story with an infinite entity authoring the plot of life for our good and his own glory that we cannot comprehend. We would not want to comprehend. We could not comprehend if we tried. And you know what? That's really okay. It's just okay. God's holding up the weight of the bleachers. He's got this. Some of you probably got in touch with a a video that went viral this week of a Super Bowl champion quarterback who was traded from the Philadelphia Eagles to a football team in Florida. He lost his starting job to an injury. He's not going to get it back. And this viral went video this video went viral because of you know I'm pretty much among Christians because they get it and and he says you know it can just summarizing pretty much you know he gives the gospel and he says God's got this and he said you know what um, I don't really trust in my ability anyway he said my ability and ultimate ability to succeed in life is not how I play as a quarterback on a football field and he said for now I'm perfectly okay and this is what he said my ministry's become my locker room. No one's taken that away from me. And people are in that locker room. And I'll always be around people when I'm in a locker room or not. Take everything away that my skill can achieve, and what do I have simply to live for? I still have people to live for. I still have a Jesus to live for, and I still have people around me that need him. Right? Can't take that away. Remember, our whole theme to the book of Ecclesiastes is living life on purpose. What are we here for anyway, right? So lest we forget that life is not merely just about responsibility and skill, let's remember it's about simplicity and simply enjoying life in our spiritual present. Think of this. What we're asked to enjoy in simplicity now in part will be enjoyed in simplicity in heaven. Do you remember the four things that we finished up with last week that Solomon defines for us our simple pleasures? Remember eating? Do you remember celebrating? Do you remember enjoying life with the wife of your youth? And do you remember work? Four simple things living in the spiritual present. There's always people in that, in those four realities. I thought about this in relationship to our first event post-Bema seat in the heavenlies. What's the first thing that we're going to enjoy doing at the marriage supper of the Lamb? 
How simple is that? How simple is that? I mean, typically in our world, we'd celebrate with a parade, with a world ruler. Or we'd have, we'd take up a stadium, right? And have a celebration. When we all step into eternity, the first thing we do is we sit down and, and we eat with the lamb. With each other. Gibson, in his commentary, says this, those without Christ often abandon themselves to eating and drinking because sometimes it looks as if that's all they're to do before we die, but those who love Christ cherish eating and drinking because it looks a little like what we'll do after we die. All of these simple gifts come from a real country. They smell and they taste and they feel like home. Simplicity and responsibility is eternal nobility. Do what you can do with divine purpose and surrender your heart to trust God to govern only what he can govern. So, living simply in our spiritual present by not ultimately and exclusively trusting in our abilities is wisdom. And finally this morning, verses 13 to 18, wisdom would caution us to make sure that we guard how we view opportunity, not just ability, but opportunity, as we live underneath this margin of mystery. You know, there can be wisdom in visiting graveyards. I've mentioned to you this before. There's wisdom in going back and visiting my own parents' graves, because there I am able to remember them and, and their love for Christ and their walk with the Lord and how really simply their lives can be remembered. My parents grew up in an era of Christianity that had much to do about personal ability and skill. As a matter of fact, if you couldn't live out your personal ability and skill in your local church and have it be known for decades that you really had little significance. But I recently went to my parents' grave and was standing there remembering their lives, and I thought, you know what? What really lasted about my, my mom's memory and my dad's memory in, in perpetuity, in life, in, in <laughs> was not how she sang a solo. It wasn't her ability to be a skilled secretary. You know, people remember about her? They were at her dinner table a lot. I was at that dinner table for over two decades, decades of my life as a kid. Do you know how much spiritual value the conversation and the relationship building had unto eternal purposes around those hours spent around eating as compared to her standing behind this pulpit singing a solo and none of you could probably remember any of the titles of any of the songs she ever sang maybe one <laughs> we have people four people without computers and you were one of them weren't you <laughs> at least you could remember that right tim but think about that. What she remembered for. 
At her funeral, do you know that not one person stood? And many testified and many wrote. We put a book together of all the memories that they had of her and my dad. Do you know not one of them put in there, they remembered her glorious voice and her song, but they remembered being taught the word of God in a classroom? They remembered Patch the Pirate? They remember being taught how to sing God's word to each other? Not, not one person, and I read hundreds of pages, remembered her for being a skilled secretary. And she faithfully did that for a long time. You know what else they remembered her for? General faithfulness. You were a believer and you served the Lord from a little girl until 72 years old when the Lord called you home. And you decided to give 40, 52 years of your life to a guy who did it as a full-time vocation. And you did it faithfully. Faithfulness, they remember. The spiritual reproductivity happened in classrooms and over dinner tables. That's legacy. And they did it together. They did it together. And quite frankly, folks, I hope my gravestone does not say he's known for his proclamation of the word. You want to know why? That's just obedience. I'm only here because I'm commanded to be here. Sunday after Sunday, when I get up, right, I'm reminded that God sovereignly, providentially reminded me to preach because he gave me a pastor-teacher gift that other people told me I had. And I didn't even want to admit that I had, but I had to admit it because they told me I had it. And so I did it, so I have to do it out of obedience. What a crazy life I live. Right? I hope I'm remembered for the simple joys that are outlined for us in verses 7 to 9. And I hope I'm remembered for doing those things faithfully. So, about opportunity. About opportunity. In verses 13 to 18, what we saw before is certainly an opportunity that two people had. One king with an army against one small town with only apparently one wise person in it. Verse 15 says, but there was found in it a poor wise man. And if you, depending on the, histor the, the, the grammarian that you study in relationship to this particular phrase, it says this, he could have delivered the city with his wisdom. Our English translations tells us that he did. Solomon says that there is even a limitation on wisdom. Wisdom is good. Wisdom would have us simply live life in this joyful way, but he's talking about a man that was sitting in his home that knew the siege was coming and he could have decided, but we're really not sure whether he did or not. But even if he did, it would not have been respected and it would not have been remembered. So what's the point? Even the opportunity to live out 
wisdom simplicity is still never going to be popular. And even when you live it out, it's rarely going to be remembered. But there is one who will always remember. God never forgets. And he will reward openly. Certainly in eternity. So even with opportunity, wisdom has its limitations. It's not that we're not going to be wise. But human wisdom has its limitations. What a great joy it is for us to know Jesus Christ who is infinite wisdom. And to have a Savior that died for us and if we turn from our sin and place our faith in Him becomes our Savior, saves us from all of our sin so that we can look forward to understanding someday, as, as Ben had mentioned, as the choir had sung, uh, know what it means to live in a reality of infinite wisdom and infinite holiness because of who Christ is in us. But for now, but for now, what does it mean to live in our spiritual, simple, present? And remember that life is not about busy performance, but as Nyquist said earlier, it is about living in our present over living for the perfect. She goes on to say in her book, Soaked in Grace, Rest, Silence, Simplicity, Prayer, and Consecration with the people that matter most to us is true success. And she says this success can be recognized right in the middle of the mess and the ordinariness of life. I was thinking about that again. She's no theologian. But I thought, wow, this author's got something here that Solomon is trying to say. In the margin of the mystery of life that's crazy that we can't figure out, do what we can do. And in our present, what can we do? It's right here in the text. Those four things. But again, doing those four things, merely those four things without purpose, leaves our lives senseless. We do these things with eternal purpose. Let your light so shine before men that they might see your good works, the simplicity of verses 7 to 9, that they may see your good works and come to glorify your Father that's in heaven. The living of these things as spiritually healthy people allows other people to see the light of Christ in you. And 1 Peter 3.15 will happen. They will ask you about the faith that's in you. They will ask you. If you're living by faith under this margin of mystery, letting God hold up what he can only hold up. All right, let's pray together. Father in heaven, we love you. We thank you for the simplicity of this wisdom. We ask now that we would go in this wisdom, that we would live in our spiritual present with eternal purpose. Life is it's busy and, and competitive and noisy and layered. And Lord, I know that we're inevitably part of all of that, but help us to take this wisdom to pull out, to pull back, and to sit, 
to be simple and entrust ourselves to you as a faithful creator while we continue to do good things with eternal purpose with one another. In Christ's name we pray, amen.